time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Thrivology Podcast, the podcast designed to help you think and grow. And today, we're talking about thinking and how your thoughts might keep you stuck, how your thoughts might keep you distracted. My guest is David Wood. He is the coach with Focus.ceo. After a time in his own life of programming and working in technology uh, companies, he left to help people become more of themselves as he himself went through that transformation. He's been our guest before. And as I talk with him, he is in Mexico on vacation. He took a little time away from that uh, to chat with me about how our belief system, how our thoughts that we buy into sometimes trip us up. Now he does take on a little bit of a uh, controversial topic, and you may want to uh, listen to this alone, not with your kids or anyone else, just because of the nature of what we talk about, just very briefly. But we want to talk about how those thoughts keep you distracted, how to keep on your path, how to find your freedom in life. So join me now as I take a deep dive into some thoughts with David Wood. Somewhere in us is this uh, desire to have everything we can get and to not miss out on something else. And I'm just kind of curious on where that comes from. Um, we, we Before we hit record, you were talking about the tiger. So, you know, what, uh, yeah, yeah. where does that come from? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think there's a part of me in particular, but humans where we try and cram as much in as possible. And I think there are two reasons we try and do that. One, uh, I'm a, an efficiency geek. So if I've got an extra five minutes and I get to do something now that's off my plate, I'm going to try and cram it in. And I think the other reason that we do that is because it generates adrenaline and, uh, and a plus dopamine. So mm-hmm. when we get something done, all right, I got that done. I got that done. I got that done. We get some dopamine and it definitely ramps up my system. I'm feeling it now because I was running around trying to get, I'm here in Mexico trying to get internet set up and uh, trying to replace my SIM card. So I've got a backup and, 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 and then I'm like, well, you know, I've got another five minutes this morning, <laughs> this morning before a call, I'm like, I think I've actually got time to trim, trim the beard. And so I ran to the bathroom, laid out, got the raise or whatever, got there just in time, but it ramps up the system and it's, it's fun to a point, you know? So I think it's trying to cram in as much as possible. And I think it can reach a point where it's counterproductive. So we've got, we're generating stress. And at the end of the day, uh, I know when I keep doing that, I'm exhausted. And what I could have done is just said, you know what? Why don't I just get there five minutes early? I know someone's leaving for town and I, I could give them a laundry list of stuff. I could let it go, sit on the grass with my dog, and then just show up here and and be calm. Now, when I was younger, I did not value peace at all. I had no value on peace. And Byron Katie's a teacher who I follow and, and love her, and she's all about how to find peace. And I was like, why would you care? 
I'm, I want to jump off this mountain in Nepal and paraglide. And I, you know, I want to be a snowboard instructor and be a stand-up comedian and, and be successful. Why would you want peace? But now that I'm 52, I, I have a much higher value on just feeling at peace. It's actually pretty good. You know, it's kind of interesting. You talk about those, the high adrenaline things. When I talk with people about those high adrenaline things, sure, they like the surge of adrenaline. But I've also noticed that that is one place that some people use that in order to get to the peace, right? It's, it's like they, if they can cook out enough adrenaline, <laughs> they finally arrive at peace. And so in some ways, I wonder if you're... Um, as a younger person trying to short circuit and still trying to find peace, you just didn't know that that was part of the equation. You're using the adrenaline to get there. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, you've got me thinking now when I would paraglide and I'd, I'd land and land successfully without injuring myself, the feeling was amazing, but it was a feeling once I've landed Mm-hmm. And and that that danger is over. I'm like, oh, I feel great now. So maybe I was generating that that sense of peace. I don't think it's a very healthy way to do it. But <laughs> maybe I was going for that. Yeah, I mean, it's a secondary piece, right? I mean, um, I I remember watching. I, I did a lot of adventure racing when I was a little younger, and um, at the end of the adventure race, you know, everybody's hanging around and drinking something warm or cold, depending on when we were doing it. And that's when everybody was relaxed, you know, and they were at peace. You know, here we'd beat ourselves up all day long or day and a half long. And then there we were going, oh, it's so nice to kick back and talk about that. But uh, it, it, it was those moments that I remember yeah. um, kind of the agony of it and then the moments of peace that come after that. Yeah, but it's uh, and the same after a speech. You know, I, I still get terrified if I'm going to give a speech. Terrified. And I go out and I do it. And afterwards, it's like, ah, oh, now I feel good, particularly if I have a beer or, you know, a drink or something. It's like, ah, oh, now this is really good. But I was talking to a great coach yesterday. His name's Jason Gore. And he was saying a, a Tibetan monk might be running from a tiger. Let's say, let's say you, me, and the monk, we're all running from, from a tiger. I would say that's normal for me to feel really stressed out. But the monk might have reached such a stage of enlightenment that the monk might be, I have a preference to not be eaten, so I should run faster. But there might still be no fear, mm. right? So we, we can aspire to that. And I think I do aspire to that, that no matter what's going on, I can be grounded and be calm. Now, I've got a long way to go, right? I don't want to pretend I'm a monk at all, but... I'm glad we're talking about it because I realize this is so ingrained in my life. Cram this in, cram this in, do a little bit extra. And then even if I did plan out more time to be more at peace, I'd probably add more stuff. Mm-hmm. And you find we do that. We add more stuff. And then we wonder why we're consistently late to everything, right? We're five minutes late, 10 minutes late. It's rare that we actually, oh, I'm 10 minutes early with nothing to do. It's because when we think, oh, I might actually have a little surplus, I could brush my teeth before I go. Or, oh, it'd be nice to take some fruit with me. Or, 
oh, why don't I just call Bill and let him know uh, we should meet at the other place? We just add, add on until we're actually going to create a little bit of adrenaline and stress. And then we'll probably go five, 10, 10 uh, miles an hour over the speed limit. Yeah, I was, I was just uh, earlier, just, just before this, uh, I was talking with my um, mastermind group that, that I lead and we were talking about tranquility versus harmony. And I just, uh, you know, suggested that harmony is something we're trying to do externally. You know, we're trying to make our world harmonious externally, but tranquility is within and it's, it's um, a different place. And so a lot of times we're trying to make harmony out here, you know, we're trying to make everything okay in our lives and missing the tranquility that we, we can produce inside. As you were talking, you were talking about, you know, getting one more thing off your plate and I, you know, I was sitting there going, yeah, but is that plate ever empty or do you just, you know, keep going back for seconds? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, something I've been noticing in the last three or four weeks is I notice my mind going, oh, you know, I could really nail this. I could finish this coding problem, this programming problem tonight, you know, and there's a constant drive in me. And I think part of that's the ego. Like keep producing, keep producing, keep producing. And ultimately that can put food on the table. So I think I know where it comes from. But I notice that it's hard for me to relax because I'm consistently like got to keep going. And then a new thought's been coming in the last three or four weeks. David, it's an infinite game. It doesn't end. It will never end. As soon as that coding problem's uh, done, you'll come up with a new coding problem. And as soon as you've reached out to these podcast hosts, hosts, there'll be other podcast hosts to reach out to. And that thought that it's an infinite game is actually allowing me to relax a little bit and go, you know what? I can leave that for, for tomorrow. There will always be stuff on my plate. And now that I know that, there's a chance to relax. So if it's a game, what do you think that game is about? I mean, you and I were kind of going back and forth about the fear of missing out. What's that about? I mean, why do we, why do we have FOMO issues on a daily basis these days? Well, you got me, I just got goosebumps. Um, you got me thinking about a time when I was about 19 uh, at university studying for exams. But before I do, I want to show you, you know, talking about tranquility, I can't really show you exactly where I am, um, but I'll describe it for anyone listening to the audio. I'm, I'm outdoors here in Mexico and I'm in a beautiful garden setting and I've, I've tried it before. You can't see the lake because it just looks white to the camera, but I'm, I'm here just looking out at lake and mountains right now. So I've got every reason for tranquility. Um, but, you know, why do we do it? I remember when I was in college, university, and I was studying for exams, and I thought, you know what? I'm so good. I don't care. Like, why do I have to get A's? Why don't I just get C's? I don't care. I'm going to still get a degree. And I tried that out for a while. And when it came time for the exams, I freaked out. I lost it because I wasn't prepped and I didn't know the answers to a lot of questions. And there was something in me that just couldn't deal with that. So I stayed up 
uh, and they they put our exams one after another. So I had to stay up till three in the morning, about seven days straight. It was a miserable experience. You're and catching in the up. Exam, <laughs> yeah, and in the exam, I was so stressed. I had to leave the exam room at one point. I I had a, like almost a panic attack, and so I decided never to have that experience again. So there's something in me that sort of is driving me to be prepared. And also I, I, I know what it's, I don't know what it's like to be truly poor. I, I, I come from privilege, but I know what it's like to be really stressed about money and, and have not too much in the bank account and wonder where the next income is going to come from. And I really don't like that feeling either. And I've, I've couch surfed for a couple of years because I wasn't making enough money to to pay for rent so that wasn't fun either so i think there's something in me always driving like make sure the money's flowing in make sure the money's flowing in i've got a feeling i don't know if this is true but i'm willing to test it if you want to give me 20 million dollars uh i got a feeling i that part of there'd be a part of me that would truly relax because i I wonder uh, about that i think i could go about six to ten years now I wonder about that because I, I, I think I, yeah, the, the, I wonder. the barrier. I'd like to test it out. Yeah, because I, I've had some clients who uh, I remember one client coming to my office and he was telling me how stressed he was because he just didn't know if he was going to be able to pay the bills. And this guy had a number of businesses, had made a, a fair amount of money. And I, I was getting concerned about what had happened to you know his successful business. And he looked at me point blank and he said, I've only got seven, seven million in my checking account right now. And I'm like, what kind of bills do you have coming due? <laughs> and and he lived yep. a very moderate lifestyle. So, you know, in the end, it had nothing to do with the amount. Uh, there's something in there uh, of fear response. So that miss the fear of missing out. What you're missing out on, I think, um, is um, never ending. I agree with you. I know there are millionaires who are more stressed than than some poor people. Um, and I do do the calculation. I, I often ask myself, how many years could I go? And particularly when I'm feeling down and run down and, and like, I, like I can't work. I'm like, how many years could I go without working? And the number for me is probably about maybe six, maybe 10 years. Uh, and I'd probably earn a little bit of money. So that makes it 20. Um, and that gives me some peace. So let's really see, by our calculation, yeah, that puts you at uh, 72. <laughs> 72 years, years old. old. Yeah, right. I mean, you're 52, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm 52. And yeah. you could make it 20 years, you know, just. Which isn't bad because, you know, life, <laughs> life expectancy for the average guy is, is I think, about 75. Maybe uh, now it's more like 80. So assuming you don't jump bad. off mountains. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've stopped doing that. I, I, I actually went, I, I don't know if you know this, I had a, a, an accident two years ago and I actually broke my back. Oh, wow. Paragliding. I, um, I was, I've been a pilot for some time and I went up yesterday and I watched them take off and I was fine and loving it until I imagined myself going off and I said, you know what, there's not enough profit in, the, in it. I want to st- stay on the ground. So I don't think I'm going to do it. We'll see. But I, my, my theory is if I had enough that I could live, uh, what's the word, modestly, if I could live modestly, say, for 35 years on savings, 
I got a feeling I'd be more relaxed. Now, yeah, let's test. I'll let you know. You know, maybe in the next three or four years, if things keep going well, I'll be there. And then I'll be like, we'll see. Um, I There are days when I just go, you know what, David? You don't have to work the way you used to. You just don't have to. You worked hard so that you don't have to. So I, I might have a week where I, I just do a few interviews and a few coaching calls and and that's it. But there, but there is, I think the ego's job is constantly looking for threats and just constantly pushing us to provide. I think I think that's our job and I think that's fine. But when it goes into overdrive and we can't relax, then it's not healthy. And we want to really start to investigate the thoughts that are going through our head. And that's where the work of Byron Katie can be invaluable. Yeah, so that's about challenging the thoughts that we have, you know, testing, doing a little reality test to see if what we're thinking is, is accurate. And, and so how yeah. might you use that in terms of these fears that we're talking about? Yeah, well, I suspect that the only thing that can ever hurt us, the only thing that can ever really hurt us is a thought. And Byron, Katie, Katie says, the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. And I actually think that's true. Losing a leg in and of itself does not create suffering. It might create pain, but it doesn't create suffering. Losing all your money does not create suffering. Being, having nowhere to sleep tonight does not create suffering. The only thing that hurts, and, and that I think we could maybe extend this to stress, the only thing that will cause stress is what we're believing. So let's take me getting ready for this podcast interview. I'm, I'm running around and someone's trying to talk to me and I nearly said, don't talk to me right now. I'm a, I'm a man. I can only focus on one thing at a time. I'm trying to get my backup internet ready. And then I got to run over here and get ready. So the first thing we want to do is try and identify what is the thought. And this is difficult because seeing our thinking is almost like asking a fish, how's the water today? Mm-hmm. The fish might respond, what water? So these thoughts are always going through. The thought might be something like, I have to be on time for this podcast. And then if we're making a list, and it's good to make a list, the next one might be, uh, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm late, we might not have the interview. So, so the interview will be canceled. That could be a second thought. And then... Katie always says, and that means what? Okay, so we keep going. That means I could miss out on, on some amazing clients that might, might have heard me speak and be like, you know what? I could use some coaching from that guy. And then she keep going. And that means what? Oh, okay. That means, well, my enlightened self comes in and says, that means nothing. Who cares? But but there's a part in here that says um, you won't have enough money to pay the rent. Now, my, this is where it gets tricky. The enlightened mind is, dude, you know that's not true. But um, there's still a part that's worried about it. So we don't tell our sunny story. We have to really go to what, what is the, the ego believing. So now we've got a bunch of thoughts. And I see my video stops. So I'll just see if I can get it, get it going again. So we take one of those thoughts, like I have to be on time for this interview with Lee, 
and we do the work on it. And she's got four questions and a turnaround. So the four questions are very simple. Is it true? You have to be on time. Uh, no. It's not really true. But, but part of me is still believing it. Like, oh, no, I have to be on time. So I might even answer yes to that. Yeah, some, some part of me believes that I've got to be on time. It's just wrong to be late. So the next question, can you absolutely know that to be true? I have to be on time for this interview. No. And I'll tell you, Lee, there, there are, it's maybe one in a hundred thoughts that I answer yes to that question. Because can you absolutely know anything? I'm like, no, I can't absolutely know that I have to be on time. Maybe, maybe Lee's late and he's going to feel uh, happy that I'm a little bit late so he's less embarrassed, mm-hmm. right? So I can't know that. Already we're cracking it open. Can't know it's true. And then the next one is how do you react what happens when you believe the thought, I have to be on time for this interview? Well, I'm stressed. I've got adrenaline running through me. I'm being short with my friend who I'm sharing the house with. I could, I could have been very loving and kind with her. Instead, I'm like, nope, yes, nope, mm, they, don't talk to me, right? So we really investigate what happens when we're believing it. Um, and then the, the last question is, who would you be without that thought? If you just couldn't even think it, your brain physically couldn't think it, I have to be on time for the interview. I would be a guy just replacing his SIM card to have a backup ready. Uh, I'd probably be enjoying the beautiful temperature here, enjoying the walk across the grass barefoot to sit down with Lee, regardless of the time. I'd just be present. So those are the four questions. And then once you've done all that and you've worked out the impact of the thought and what life might be like without it, she says, all right, turn it around. Give me an opposite. All right, I have to be on time for the interview. I don't have to be on time for the interview. That's the simplest opposite. And she said, all right, give me three pieces of evidence that that's at least as true as what you were thinking. All right, I don't have to be on time for the interview because Lee's a pretty nice guy and he's, he's probably going to cut me some slack. She'd say, okay, that's one. Give me another one, another reason why this could be even truer than the original thought. I don't have to be on time for the interview because, oh, wow, I, I rarely come up short. Can you think of, <laughs> can you think of one here? What, what's another reason why I don't have to be on time for the, for the interview? Well, so if you trace it back to all those things that might happen, um, it may have no, maybe nobody listens, right? I don't have to be on time because maybe nobody's going to even listen to Lee's crazy podcast. Oh, that's right. No, yeah, maybe nobody listens. That's good. And also another reason is um, we'll start the recording when I arrive. Mm-hmm. So for everyone listening, they're, gonna, they're probably not even going to know, except we've spent the whole interview talking about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so you see how we, we start, and it's, sometimes it's hard for the mind to go, boy, what's another reason why I don't have, because that you see how that was hard for me yeah. because my mind is like, you got to be on time. So we really dig in until we can come up with three reasons. Another reason I'm in Mexico. Lee's probably going to cut me some slack. And I actually use that as an excuse. When I got on the call, I said, I'm in Mexico. I'm trying to get all this stuff. Oh, well, you're in Mexico. So we, we do all that. And then 
uh, she'll say, give me another turnaround. What's another opposite? So I go back to the original thought. I have to be on time for the interview. Uh, I have to be late. All right. She said, give me a reason. Why is that? Why is that true? I have to be late for the interview because it gives us a wonderful topic to talk about for the interview. Boom. Right. And we keep on going. And then finally she'd be like, all right, so you have to be on time for the interview. Are you sure? I'm not, you know, it gives me a chance to apologize. Gives me a chance to tell you that I do respect your time. You know, there's so many opportunities. So now perhaps next time I'm rushing around, this will kick in. I'll still have the same thought. I'm not saying they disappear. They usually don't go away, but I may not believe it anymore. Oh, I've already looked into that. It's not actually true. I I have a preference. So I will will prepare so that I'm on time because I like myself more when I'm on time. But if I'm not... I could still arrive with tranquility. So that that last piece, um, I, I think up until then, there might be some people getting kind of anxious about, oh, of course, you, you, if, if nobody's on time, then everything falls apart. I mean, the, the world runs on schedules. And your last piece there was the difference between I have to and I have a preference so that I'm going to work towards that. The the problem in your thinking was the I have to, exactly. not whether you're there or not on time, but the the uh, emotional outcome of the have to. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to be controversial now, Lee. Let's go deeper. Let's pick something else that people have more of an attachment to than being on time. Um, and one of the most controversial things I've I've heard Katie ask about is is uh, rape. Um, you know, it seems obvious to me and I imagine you that rape is a bad thing and it shouldn't happen. The problem that we come up against is that it is happening. And when the mind says it shouldn't happen and yet it is, we're now at war with reality. Like, you know, I'm, you know, or let's say, let's say I say Trump shouldn't be president and yet Trump is. I'm at war with reality and I now have no peace. So I used to think, well, you just got to fight. You just got to fight it and you just got to have no peace and you've got to fight and you got to fight against rape and you've got to fight against um, a president that you don't want to be in office. And I believe Katie's point of view is in the moment, since you can't change it anyway, you might as well make your peace with it it does exist. That doesn't mean you have to tolerate it. It doesn't mean that you have to embrace it, right? I think rape's a horrible thing. So I can devote my whole, I could devote my whole life to stopping rape without believing there shouldn't be rape. And I know this is going to trigger a lot of people and I don't blame, I don't blame you if you're triggered because I was too when she first came up with this. But same with being on time. I can say um, I don't have to be on time, but I have a preference and then do whatever I can, but I don't have to stress out about it. I, I used to get really upset about litter and I'd be like, there should not be litter there. And that guy should not have thrown his cigarette butt. And so I'm stressed. And Katie would come along and say, he should litter because he is. 
And that letter should be there until I pick it up. So, you know, some people might say you're passing words. We are. I am passing words. But it's these words that can cause the stress. So I try and, and, and say things should be the way they are. And I have a preference for many of these things to change. And, and I might put a lot of money and effort towards changing them. But in the moment to say it shouldn't be like that, you're at war with reality. And I've discovered that reality is bigger than me. Yeah. So I've I talked about this in my writing is the difference between what is and what if, you know, the IS oh, okay. and the IF. So the what is. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the beginning of my career, I worked as a chaplain in a hospital. So I had a lot of time working with people who were, you know, different levels of grief, either over a loss in their life or a loss in their capacity. You know, they can see an illness or um, something that's changing their where they are. And at that point, we were pulling from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, where the last one is acceptance. And what I realized as I was chaplaining was this, this reality was that people believed it was their job to get people to acceptance. So if somebody had hope for a cure or hope for getting better or whatever, they would work to make them see the reality. It's a, and I put quotes around that reality of what, you know, what's going on. And that was what we considered to be acceptance. Since then, I've realized that acceptance is acceptance as a starting point, you know, of where you are right now. And our struggle with, you know, where, where we're not is what causes a lot of our pain and discomfort. And so you're talking about what ought to be true. And, and, what we are not doing is resigning to that truth as much as to say that is the truth. Um, so I always use kind of the analogy of a trip. You know, if I was going to come visit you in Mexico, I can look at where you are and I can uh, kind of think about all of that. You can show me all the things around you. But when I start the trip, I've got to start from where I'm located, you know, wh what is before I can take any step towards where you are to get to somewhere new. That's very good. I really like you, know, you so much is loaded up hearing that um, acceptance as a starting point sounds good. And I, I, there's, there's part of my brain says, dude, you should get off the topic of rape because see, I haven't been raped, so I have no credibility to speak about that. So I, I want to speak about loss in the moment in a moment because I have more cred to speak about that. But I think I think it's still a good example because if I want to change the world and I want to reduce the incidence of rape, if I'm coming from everyone who commits rape as bad and wrong, which is, to be honest, it's where I usually come from because I'm not particularly enlightened. But if I'm coming from there, I'm at war with, with rapists. Whereas if I come start from acceptance, I might have a chance of getting into their mindset and more of a chance of being able to change it. So as, as you say, starting from acceptance, right, this is where it's at. Now let's change it. And then when you mentioned uh, loss and, and grief, that's what you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're a counselor? Yeah, uh, chaplain. At that point, I was a chaplain, yeah, getting people at. to accept what um, their destiny. I lost destiny. my sister when I was seven years old. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us a story. You're talking about oh, your sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Destiny. Well, 
when when I was seven years old, my five year old sister was was um, yep, she was uh, she was killed by a bus, and I was there and I witnessed it. Now there's a big part of me that still believes that should not have happened. But I can also see how ridiculous that is. It, it did happen, and yet I think it shouldn't. As Katie says, who needs God when we have your opinion? <laughs> and my opinion is that shouldn't have happened. Now, I, don't, I can't, to be honest, I can't fully get on board with that should have happened. She should have died. But I can get, the closest I can get is maybe. Maybe that's exactly what should have happened. Maybe she should have had five beautiful years and we should have had five wonderful years with her and then all the growth and evolution that's happened. And my entire career is probably based on the wounding of losing my sister. So I can at least get to a maybe and that gives me some peace. And so my, my hope in sharing that story is if any listeners still have something in their past that either happened to them and they think shouldn't have happened or that they did something and are still carrying the guilt and thinking that they shouldn't have done that. My hope is that you could at least find your way to a maybe uh, through the work of Byron Katie or maybe just listening to Lee uh, so that you can have some peace as a, as a starting point. Yeah. So I, the place that I enter into that is it did happen. You know, the, whether it should or shouldn't is irrelevant to the fact that it it did happen. We're where we are because of that. Um, Thomas Leonard, you're familiar with Thomas Leonard, who was considered kind of the, I don't know, grandfather at this point of, of coaching, oh, life coaching. Mate, you, get, you get points with me. But... Yeah. So yeah, you t- get points with me just by invoking his name. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Thomas uh, talked about the present perfect. And that where we are right now, this moment is a culmination of everything that's come before us. And so when people are like, you know, I don't want this to be where I am, but it, it is a perfect representation of everything that's come before, some of which we have no choice about, some of which we had no say-so. A lot of that we had no say-so or choice about. It still is the background. And so all of that culminates in this moment. And so we are where we are. It's the present perfect. It's the perfect representation of everything that's come up to us. And then our question from here is, so where do I want to go from here? Not, you know, how do, how do I revisit what's happened before? I mean, you could spend your life revisiting the death of your sister. Or you go, okay, because of that, how am I going to live my life differently? How am I going to bring meaning? How am I going to cherish life? How am I going to make a difference? Um, and uh, not ever just taking it for granted that we've you know, got more time. And, and so that, um, for me, is the place that what happened did happen. Here we are. <laughs> now where? Now what's the journey from here? Yeah. Personally, love Thomas Leonard and... I don't think I've ever cried harder and longer than when he died. He represented uh, so much that I value and I I loved him without knowing it. And I was so sad when he went, but that's so, so true. The present moment represents it's, it's a microcosm of everything in the universe. It's happened millions of times before me. It's going to happen millions of times after me. So I felt my body relax as you were saying that. Mm -hmm. And something that just came to me is 
you may already be hurting to some point by what happened or what's happening if you take the viewpoint that this shouldn't be so you're going to hurt twice over mm -hmm. yeah you're going to really be in hell if you're believing that something happens to me and i think it's not fair or it shouldn't have happened now i'm suffering doubly so let's let's try not to do that and at least make our peace if you can't well the ideal if you let's say you're buying katie she says loving what is right you love what is every moment okay i can't get that far but at least maybe we can get to uh accepting what is uh as a starting point if you can embrace it and really welcome it that's that's a bonus but i you know i can't expect everyone else to do that when i'm not doing it but i do aspire to and if i can find a way to welcome and find something good with what happened then um i'm usually pretty happy hmm. i'm like all right i just coached a client i have um i usually coach uh only entrepreneurs and one of these entrepreneurs just got a diagnosis of cancer it was quite a serious form of cancer so i coached her and her husband and first we did some processing like how, how is it for you and what's going through your mind and how you're feeling about it like yeah there's there's a time for that let's do that and then at the end of the session i said all right now given this diagnosis and given that you don't know how long you've got to live what are you going to do with the time you do have what are you going to do with it what what game do you want to play with that and she wrote to me just just recently saying this diagnosis is seriously the best thing that's ever happened to me it's transforming my life so of course in the moment she she didn't find that but over time she managed to find a new interpretation and this woman is truly living so that was kind of my uh, my chaplain experience i was 23 24 years old so you know all of life kind of in front of me as far as i could see and these people were telling me you know they had a diagnosis and they would have weeks months you know at best years to live if if you get a diagnosis like that and so we'd have these conversations and many, many times I would say, you know, I'm so sorry about your diagnosis. And many times after they had had a chance to deal with it and, and kind of accept that and, and, and move to a different place, they would say, oh, don't be sorry. I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but this is the first time in my life that I've actually ever been truly alive. I'm aware of what's important. I'm, you know, I'm focused on what I'm going to do with the time I have left. And before that, I was wasting uh, energy, wasting life, and uh, and so now I've made a, a switch to to figuring out what really does matter in the time that's left. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I noticed my video is going on and off, so anyone no, no watching problem. this, we're keeping the watch, it's audio only, so we're good. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll have <laughs> you'll have an intermittent experience. No problem. So, David, tell us a little bit about, uh, you talked about coaching entrepreneurs. What, what are you coaching them around and, and what do you bring to that? Well, I, one thing I think is a bit different about my coaching is I, I used to, um, like the first half of my life was all about business. You know, I would I would be focused on uh, systems and money. And I was consulting to big companies in New York, like Sony and Ford and Exxon. And that was really fun for me. I'm a geek. 
So numbers and systems uh, are good and I just can't help myself, but I love marketing. Uh, marketing and branding is super fun for me. But I realized at about the age of 26, I think, that that was really dry, you know? It was so dry and I just didn't, I didn't want to keep doing that for the rest of my life. So I went and did a personal growth course and they cracked my heart open. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a, there's a whole, I was, I've been missing emotional vulnerability and intimacy and connection and leadership and true influence. I didn't know about any of those things. So the last half of my life has been about that. So the way I market my coaching is we'll start with helping you make more money because more money is better than less money. And, and then that, that covers your coaching fee and everything we do after that is just pure bonus. So we start with money because I'm a practical man, but let's not start there. If you're working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks, what's the point of the money if you can't enjoy your life? So the second thing we do once we've got, uh, we bump your revenue and I, the normal goal is let's, let's double your revenue over, over 12 months. But then I say, how much time off do you have right now? How about we double that? Uh, because we're often very unleveraged. We do so much ourselves and we don't have the best systems in place. So let's, let's leverage and uh, get some discipline, some focus so that you're actually achieving. I actually believe it's possible to achieve twice as much of the important things in your business in half the time you're spending now. And then you know, once that's along the way, while we're doing that journey, life comes up. So I've got one client, she, she's not sure how to talk to her kids about COVID because the kids are like, I'm 18. I should be able to leave the house and go and hang out with my friends and do a party. So we handle those conversations or she's having trouble with her ex-husband and they're fighting. And I'm like, well, let's try emotional Aikido. What if you were able to roll with it? And just validate him all the time without, you know, without giving in. And so she's trying that. And, and then I get a text message saying, I just had a really good conversation with him. And he opened up to me and it was amazing. Like, yes, that's what I want for you in every aspect of your life. So we start with the money and we go to time off and then life happens. And I'm glad life happens because that's more rewarding for me. I, I would not, if all I was doing was coaching about money, I'd just give up. I'd go and be a stockbroker uh, or, or an investment banker actually is what, I, what I'd be doing if I just cared about money. So I'm like, I want your life to be amazing. And I know more money will help, but it's not going to do it. It'll help. But, but we really need to look at how you're showing up. So we'll often get into courage what are you afraid of or a little bit nervous about? And is there a way you can lean into it? How's your level of truth? Because I'm a huge fan of transparency and finding a way to bring the truth out into the open so that you don't have to keep on worrying that something's going to bite you in the butt or be tolerating a whole bunch of things that are annoying you. Um, and if we can increase, if I can increase someone's courage by 30%, and increase their truth-telling by 30%, uh, I figure 99 times out of 100, 
their life's going to be a lot better. And on, on their deathbed, they'll be able to look back and say, I really, truly lived. Well, it really is the goal. I mean, you're, what you're doing is giving people freedom. Uh, you know, the, the money is the vehicle. Um, and, and that's true for all of us to find the, the path to freedom, right? And money is, is the backbone that allows that. But if you're still captured by doing things that are you know, keeping you hostage, if you're still captured by emotional work that's keeping you hostage, you're still not free. So your task is to bring freedom to that. You are a genius. <laughs> I think you've just found a way. I think you've just found a way to tie in everything I'm doing into one core value. Yeah. That's my true. mother would agree I, with I, you. I'm not sure anybody else would, but my mother would agree. <laughs> right. right. I realize like since, since 1998, I've been able to live anywhere in the world, hmm. anywhere. And, and work from my laptop and choose my own hours. So I've been my own boss. I got geographical freedom. I wrote a book called Get Paid for Who You Are, and the subtitle was The Four Freedoms. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can remember all four of them. I think it was time freedom, geographical freedom, emotional freedom was the fourth one, um, financial freedom. Those were the four. And now that I've rebranded three or four times, I forgot about that. And it's so true. I want you to, I want you to be free in every aspect of your life. So let's make more money. Let's give you more time. And then let's have you have emotional freedom too, which comes from courage and truth telling uh, largely. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Back to freedom. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you've, all, you've probably altered the next hundred interviews I give yeah. um, because I can now use freedom as a way to bring it all together. Nice. So let's say somebody has been listening, going up, that connects with me and I need to catch up with David. What's the best way to catch up with you, David? Yeah, sure. Well, I created a little gift basket of goodies for listeners and it'll take you straight to my website. So you can get on my mailing list. If you like, I usually send out a couple of videos a week, but the the goodies are, there's a, um, I have a checklist. If you want to really achieve twice as much in half the time, there's a checklist of what to do. And uh, I also created a training on how to double your revenue over 12 months and um, to do it really efficiently. And I'll give you, uh, happy to give free access to that too. And if you want to get on the phone with me and do a 15-minute double your revenue audit, I can usually identify the low-hanging fruit really quickly because the plan for, for, for John is going to be different to the plan for Jenny. Uh, and you can get all three of those things at myfocusgift.com. I created that just because it's easy to remember. Myfocusgift.com, take you straight to my, my page. And we will put that link in the show notes. So that's myfocusgift.com. And that's, that's right. a great place to catch up with David. If this has been something and you're going, okay, I need freedom in my life, or I need to figure out how to at least move in that direction and figure out where I am. Uh, that is a great place to start. Um, yeah, David. thank you. And it's mainly for business owners. Um, I mean, that, that those gifts are for anybody, but I have an eight-week program where we really dive in and, and boost revenue and time off. It's called Samurai. And at that link, you'll be able to see if you're a fit Perfect. for the Samurai program. And if you're not, I'll tell you very politely and point you in the right direction. And if you are, we're going to have some fun. Great. So, David, I want to get you back to vacation. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Good to see you again. Thanks. Good to see you. Take care.
listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it.